Our scripture reading this evening will be from Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 24. You can find that on page 1008 of the Red Pew Bible. Hebrews 11, 24 through 27. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Just wanted to take just a second this evening to commend Daniel for his song leading. Um, for those of you that have ever tried to lead singing, or, or maybe you never even tried because you're too intimidated to begin with to even think about it, you know how difficult of a task it is and how if you mess up, everybody knows it, everybody hears you, right? And, and so uh, he did a great job pitching it where, where we could all sing and, and all those types of things. But, but more than that, I was appreciative of how he put the songs together in a way that was, was uh, instructive to us, that helped us to, to uh, learn and, and, and teach one another. And they were all songs that had to do with our lesson this evening. He asked me what I was going to be preaching on, and he took the time to try to string some songs together that would be helpful to us uh, tonight to, to teach us, to encourage us. And so I wanted to say thank you to him for that um, and, and to continue to encourage him in those things. I know that he will continue to do a great job in that uh, effort. Tonight, as we think about the songs that he just led us in, I am resolved no longer to linger. Uh, footprints of Jesus, I'll follow the footprints of Jesus wherever they go. Um, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. Everything that we've sung this evening center around this idea of making up our mind. That's the title of our lesson this evening, Make Up Your Mind. Have you ever used a phrase in your life, maybe, maybe it was like me when I was in, a teenager, or maybe a young adult, I don't remember exactly when it was, but, but this phrase, I realized that this phrase, the phrase, how come, didn't make any sense to me. Have, have you ever thought about that? Sometimes, you know, somebody might explain something or tell you to do something, and, and you say, how come? Well, what does that even mean? I, you know, how, how did you come to that? You know, it's, it's one of those phrases that, that maybe doesn't add, we know what it means. We know what we're saying when we say something like that, but it, it maybe doesn't immediately register in our minds. Well, what is it? Why are we saying that? We mean why, but why are we saying how come? When I think about make up your mind, I, I kind of think about the same type of thing. What exactly does it mean to make up your mind? I mean, are we talking about putting on makeup like a, like, like a lady might wear, you know, build it up? Or, or who knows what exactly we mean? We all know what it means though, right? We understand what it means when we say that. To, to make a final decision after a period of consideration. To become convinced of a particular course of action. And so as you think about making up your mind, to put your mind in order towards a decision after having considered all the alternatives... And so, though this phrase is not explicitly found in Scripture, the sentiment is certainly there. The idea of choosing, it's always been God's expectation of his people to make a definitive choice, to make up your mind about God's way, to choose to be on the side of God. Think about this in Scripture. 
From the very beginning of time, Adam and Eve had a choice. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, God told them that they could eat of anything of the garden except for the tree of knowledge and good and, of good and evil. They had the choice to choose to follow what God said, and it was up to them to choose whether or not they were going to listen to what God had to say to them. But not only that, as we've just considered from our scripture reading this evening, we jump forward to Hebrews chapter 11 in the sense that it, that's where it is in our Bibles in the New Testament, but referencing that Old Testament account of Moses having made a choice, he had a choice to make. He chose to suffer, to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin for a season, Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 25. But not only that, consider that the Israelites had a choice to make in several different cases. In Exodus chapter 32, verse number 26, Moses comes down off of the mountain where he's there on Sinai with, with the Lord receiving the law. And as he comes down, he finds the Israelites have decided that, that Moses has vacated their, their presence, that he's not coming back. And so they de decide to pull together all of their gold and they make this golden calf. And he comes down and he finds them with this calf and he makes this statement. He, he says, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And it goes on to say that all the sons of Levi gathered together to him. But he says, it's like he's making this, this line in the sand. If you're on the Lord's side, come to me. Come on over to me and be on this side over here. Whoever is on the Lord's side, choose, follow him, make up your mind. Are you on the Lord's side or not? And so we have the account of that in Exodus chapter 32, verse number 26. But also in Deuteronomy chapter 30, in verse number 19, one of the key verses of Deuteronomy, after Moses has given them the law, and he's shortly before he dies, and shortly before he goes up on the mountain to, to die, he makes this statement. After having given them all the things that they needed to know, everything that was going to be uh, precepts for their life, that is the children of Israel, he says this, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death. He says, blessing and cursing, therefore choose life. Choose life that both you and your descendants might live. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse number 19. So we have the choice that Moses had to make in Hebrews chapter 11, the choice that the Israelites had to make at the base of Mount Sinai, the choice that the Israelites further had to make in Deuteronomy chapter 30 in verse number 19, but also consider the one that perhaps is most familiar to us in Joshua chapter 24 in verse number 15. You go to Hobby Lobby and you'll see this on all the signs there, right? Choose you this day whom you will serve. And he goes on to say, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, Joshua says, we will serve the Lord. He calls for them to make that choice. And we'll consider these things more in detail here in just a minute. But, but consider this choice God expects of his people to choose to make up their mind to follow him. But not only that, continuing on in our Old Testaments, the prophets had a choice to make. In 1 Kings chapter 18, we have the contest between Elijah and the 450 prophets of Baal. And as Elijah is talking to the people, to the Israelites, he says, how long will you falter between two opinions? 
How long will you straddle the fence? How long will you go back and forth between whether God, our God, is the true God or whether Baal is God? He says, if Baal is the Lord, follow him. But if our God, the God of heaven, is God, follow him. He says, how long will you falter between these two opinions? In other words, choose. Make a decision. Make up your mind. But it doesn't end there. You and I also need to realize that we have a choice to make. The New Testament is littered with with scriptures that make it clear that riding the fence, that not choosing to make up our mind about God and his way and being definitive about that, not not being wishy-washy or back and forth, but rather being definitive about that is is an expectation of God. Matthew chapter 6, verse number 24, no man can serve two masters, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. We cannot serve two masters. In Romans chapter 6 and verse number 16, the, the idea here is found that either we will be slaves of sin or we will be slaves of righteousness. The choice is ours to make. Which one will it be? A slave of sin or a slave of righteousness? There's no in-between. You cannot both be, be both a slave of sin and a slave of righteousness. It's one or the other. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 21, Paul says, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot imbibe from both. You cannot enjoy from both. It's like one is poison. If you think of the cup of demons, you cannot drink poison. And as you think about what the book of James talks about, we cannot have a spring that brings forth both good and, and, and sour water or bitter water. That is, we must choose. We must make a decision. And then finally, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 14, Paul says that we ought not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers, that we need to make sure that we are making a distinction between ourselves and those of the world, and those of the world. And so we see throughout Scripture, there's an expectation that we make up our mind, that we make a choice. But consider this. Consider what making up your mind means. What do we mean when we say that in particular the three, there's going to be three examples on this slide that we're going to consider that, that really stand out, that really stand out. Consider again, turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter number 11. Hebrews chapter number 11, our scripture reading, and I want us to see, we're going to, we're going to maybe put your marker there. We're going to keep coming back to this particular chapter. The scripture reading for us about Moses and choosing to suffer affliction with the people of God. I want us to think about the fact that from Scripture, making up our mind that choosing to follow the Lord means choosing the Savior over sin. Choosing the Savior over sin. Begin verse 24 with me. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin for a season esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. When we think about what it means to choose the Savior over sin, it means, as we'll talk about in a little bit, esteeming Christ as more valuable, more worthy of our attention, of our devotion, of our time than the things of this world, than the things that are attractive to us, the things that are sinful. It means to choose the Savior over sin. But secondly, consider turning your Bibles to Joshua chapter 24 and verse number 15. 
Joshua chapter 24 and verse number 15, as you think about what we just mentioned a moment ago, the, the, the great passage that so many people are aware of and, and maybe put on signs in their house, <coughs> it means choosing Christ over culture. Choosing Christ over culture. Notice what Joshua says to the people. He says, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua wanted them to make a distinction and understand that there is a clear cut difference between serving the Lord and serving that which the people around us serve. Whether that be their idols, their false gods, whether that be their, their lifestyles and the things of this world, choosing Christ over what the rest of the culture around us is striving to live for. It means choosing the Savior over sin. It means choosing Christ over culture. It means choosing the I am over idols. We referenced 1 Kings chapter 18, verse number 21 a little while ago. How long will you falter between two opinions? Elijah is calling for the people of Israel to make a distinction, to choose to follow the Lord over the idols, the false gods of the people of the land. And it may be that sometimes the things that we, we choose over God are not necessarily inherently sinful. The things that we may choose over God, they may be things that are maybe good in some cases. But when we take those things and we put them in the place of God, when we take those things and we, we substitute those things in the place of God, we have become faulty in our thinking. We think about what the children of Israel did with the golden calf. There's nothing inherently wrong with, with taking some sort of, of substance and, and forming or fashioning some sort of, of, of image just for the sake of forming or fashioning it. But the problem was they were taking that particular image and they were putting it in the place of God. They were, they were, they were sacrificing God's place in their life. They were substituting God's place in their life with this graven image. Any time that you and I do that, we are no longer choosing to follow God. Whether it be our job, whether it be our hobbies, whether it be anything, our education, things that may be good, or even our family, when we take those things and put them in the place of God, we are not choosing God. We are not making up our mind about God's way. And so making up your mind means choosing the Savior over sin, choosing Christ over culture, choosing the I am over idols. Let's look at these particular examples in a couple, of, a couple more that, that maybe give us an idea of, of, a, of practical uh, examples of what making up our mind really looks like in our lives. We, we, we established maybe some higher elevation principles, right? Choosing Christ over culture, choosing the Savior over sin, choosing the I am or idols. But let's look at some specific things from the text that show us what these individuals did, how it was clear that they chose that they, that they chose God over, over the things of the world. Consider first and foremost that choosing the right thing, no matter the consequence, is a clear-cut uh, distinguisher that we are choosing God over the things of the world. Choosing the right thing, no matter the consequence. 
Remember what, what it was that we considered with regard to Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 27, in, in the case of Moses, that he chose to, to suffer, to endure the, the, the pain and the torture that came along with following and being uh, associated with God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. When we think about Moses and choosing to do that, Choosing what's maybe not best for me in the moment in what the world might think. Choosing what's maybe not best for me in my physical well-being because maybe it means persecution. Maybe it means enduring uh, difficult circumstances, maybe losing my job. When we choose to do the right thing, no matter the consequences, it helps to, to prove, it helps to establish that we are choosing and making up our mind to follow God no matter what. And not only that, Turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter number 32. Exodus chapter number 32, I want us to consider what happens after Moses comes down and he says, whoever's on the Lord's side, come to me, verse number 26. He has the Levites end up coming to him. They gathered themselves together to him. And notice what is said in verse 27. Moses said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let every man put his sword on his side and go in and out from entrance to entrance throughout the camp. And let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. In this particular case, we have an account of Scripture that is just hard to understand, hard to fathom. These people lost their lives because they chose to to make this idol. But then beyond that, when Moses came back and he said, whoever's on the Lord's side, it seems that the people that did not endured the consequences. But in the case of the Levites, choosing God's way meant choosing God's way over the ways of their family and friends. They took their swords to those that were related to them, the children of Israel, distantly related to them and punish them because that's what God told them to do. I'm not suggesting that that's anything that God has told us to do today. God, God doesn't speak to us by, by the prophet Moses like he did in this particular case and tell us to take up arms against other individuals. But in this particular case, it meant choosing God's way over the way of family and friends. Is that the case for you in your life? Do your family and friends encourage you or want you to do things differently than what God wants you to do? When you choose God's way over the things that your family and friends want you to do, it's evident by the fact that you have made up your mind to be allegiant to God, to be a follower of Him. Consider also Joshua chapter 24, verses 16 through 18. You think about this great passage of scripture, I want us to see, we we know verse 15, but I want us to see verses 16 through 18 immediately following that. Turn your Bibles there and consider what is said. Joshua chapter 24, verses 16 through 18. After Joshua says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Verse 16, the people answered and said, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve the other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the ways that that we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And so what they're doing here, what they're doing here, he goes on to say the Lord drove 
out from before us all the people, including the Amorites who dwelt in the land. We also will serve the Lord, for he is God. They are clearly establishing the fact that they recognize that God has done things for them that they could have never done for themselves. And when we choose and we make up our mind that God's way is the way that we're going to follow, we're going to talk to people and communicate to people that God has done things for us. And we're going to give credit to God and give credit to him and give glory to him in every circumstance. Could that be said about your life? Could it be said that that it's not about you, but it's rather about God? And when, when it becomes that, when it becomes you talking about God and what he's done in your life instead of what you have done for your own glory, it becomes clear, it becomes evident to everyone that you have chosen, that you have made up your mind to follow God's way. It also looks like further down in verse number 25, making a verbal commitment, a verbal commitment. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made for them a statue and an ordinance in Shechem. If you go back towards the beginning of the book of Joshua, after they'd crossed the Jordan River, the the Lord had made it dry for them to, to, to go across. They established various stones. They, they, they made this monument of sorts. And the purpose of this monument was so that when their children asked them, what, what, what do these stones mean? They would be able to tell them that the Lord had provided safe passage for them to cross over the Jordan at that time. It was, a, it was an opportunity for them to, to communicate that. When we think about what's going on here in Joshua chapter 24, verse 25, there's this covenant, there's this commitment, there's this verbal expression of the fact that we are following God. Do you ever maybe show up to worship on Sunday morning, Sunday night, maybe Wednesday night, Bible class, whatever it may be, but during the week when you go back to your workplace, maybe back to your family, to school, are, are you afraid to verbalize your commitment? Are you afraid to, to show that you have made a covenant with God, that you have promised to be a follower of his? Or do you reserve? Do you reserve away from those things? Do you, do you try not to, to let those things be known about you? If that's the case, then it may not be that you have clearly committed your life to God, that you have made up your mind, right? You've, you've made a, a distinct choice that, that God's way is your way. So making a verbal commitment, as you think about in the New Testament, the expectation of confession before, as as John talked about this morning, before baptism, baptism is preceded by confession that states that I will follow Jesus, that Jesus is the Lord, that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Lord of my life, that, that I'm following him because he truly has all authority on earth making that verbal commitment, saying it, not just then, but a lifelong confession. Not only then, certainly before baptism, but also beyond that, a lifelong confession. But consider fifth, after the the great account of Elijah and the 450 prophets of Baal, after God rains down fire from heaven and consumes the altar and even all the water that is there, what happens there is something that's very interesting that all of the people fall down on their faces and they say this, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. When was the last time that, that you in some way, maybe it's not literally that you fell on your face, but maybe it is. Maybe you have literally fallen on your face in praise and in adoration before God. 
because you have just been so amazed by his majesty, by his goodness, by his mercy, his grace, his love, all of his characteristics that it has caused you because of your decision, the fact that you have made up your mind that he is God, that has caused you to fall on your face in reverence before him and worship to him, committing to him, making up your mind in just these accounts, these, these four accounts that we've considered looks maybe sometimes different than maybe what we see in a lot of lives today. I'm not saying that you have to fall down on your face or that you have to build some sort of monument as a covenant before God, but rather that there needs to be a clear-cut, distinct, obvious decision made in our life, namely the seminal moment, that moment at baptism that was talked about this morning where we say, I'm going to trust in God's way. I'm going to trust in baptism to save me because that's where I'm going to come into contact with the blood of Christ. Thinking about Colossians 2, that we're going to have faith in the working power of Christ in that moment. Consider with me some consequences of not making up your mind, of not choosing, making that definitive choice. It means spiritual death before God. In the case of Exodus chapter 32, verses 26 through 28, for those that were not on the Lord's side, it meant death. For us, it doesn't necessarily immediately mean physical death, but it does mean spiritual death. It means sin because we reject God. We have rejected his way. It also means rejection by God. Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 through 16, because you are neither cold nor hot, Christ says, I will spew you out of my mouth. You were lukewarm, he says to the church at Laodicea. Are we like that? Are we straddling the fence? Are we lukewarm? Are we somewhere in between? Or have we made up our minds and chosen to follow God? Because if we don't, he will spew us out of his mouth. It means unworthiness before God. He says, if you love your your father or mother or your brother or sister more than me, you are not worthy of me, Jesus says. Make up your mind to love God, to love Christ above all else, above anyone else. That's a consequence of not making up your mind. It means unworthiness before God. James chapter one, verse number eight, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Do you think that if you straddle the fence that in some way in your life that you're going to have some solid footing? Because you know what happens when you're straddling a fence? Neither foot is touching at the same time typically, right? You're going back and forth because typically the fence is taller than you can reach with both feet. When you think about having firm footing, a firm foundation, we need to make a clear-cut distinction, a clear-cut decision to make up our mind to be on the Lord's side. Otherwise, we'll be unstable. But also consider with me this. Turn your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 17. 2 Kings chapter number 17. It's a very interesting observation that can be made here. 2 Kings chapter 17, verse number 41. The Bible tells us that these nations feared the Lord, yet, a big three-letter word there, Yet they served their carved images. Also their children and their children's children 
have continued doing as their fathers did, even to this day. Have you considered, moms and dads, have you considered that straddling the fence, that not choosing, that not making up your mind clearly and obviously and definitively oftentimes leads to confusion in your children. Because as it's been said many times, our children can see through the things that maybe we can put up as a, as a facade or front before other people because they see who we truly are at home. And if we don't truly make up our minds that yes, this is who we are and what we're about, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If we don't make up our minds, then our children will see that and they'll begin to maybe oftentimes lose confidence in whether or not God's way is the best way. And maybe they will start to straddle the fence in their life and then sometime down the road, maybe they'll forsake God altogether. And maybe their children and their children's children will no longer even have any association with the Lord at all. It starts now. You've heard it said before, right? The church is only a generation or two away from apostasy. Because if we don't choose this moment today, now, to make up our minds to follow God, it can lead to future unfaithful descendants. Now, it doesn't guarantee that because even some of you here this evening have unfaithful ancestors, ancestors that did not follow Christ, and yet you are choosing to follow God anyway. It's up to each individual, but oftentimes it leads to a fade of faithfulness in generations. And we need to be careful that that doesn't happen in our life. Consider with me as we close a close investigation of Moses' choice. There are four words that very much stick out in Hebrews chapter 11. As we said, hopefully you have your fingers still there. Turn back to Hebrews chapter 11 as we close. There are four words that, that distinctly stick out that helped Moses perhaps in choosing to follow God, making a choice. Number one, Moses refused. Moses refused. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I want us to think about the fact that this means to disavow, to reject, to refuse, to deny. Just as Peter denied Jesus in Matthew chapter 26, verse number 70, we cannot be in that boat when it comes to, to denying Jesus. We need to be individuals that refuse to follow the things of the world. We need to refuse to be associated with being a, a, a son or a daughter of the world. We need to choose in our mind that we will not be associated with those things. The sad reality is Matthew chapter 10, verse 33, whoever denies me before men, him I will deny before my father. If we do not choose, if we do not refuse, those things of the world, just as Moses did, then we will be denied by God. But not only that, Moses esteemed. Moses esteemed. Moses' choosing was based off of his estimation, the things that he esteemed. It, is, it says specifically in verse 26 that he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. That is, he accounted or judged or considered he counted Christ and the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. If you had a, a choice to make between all the things that came along with being a prince of Egypt and being a follower of Christ, would you choose 
in your estimation that Christ in his way was more valuable to you. That's what Moses did. And he did this not fearing the wrath of the king, no matter what, no matter the consequences. What have you, what have you chosen as, as something with regard to God as, as him being more valuable? Do you look at him in that way? This is what led Moses to choose. Ultimately, he forsook. He forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. He forsook Egypt. That is, he left behind. He abandoned it. He did not try to have one hand over here and one hand over here with God's way. But rather, he said, I'm going to be full in. I'm going to be all in in following God. And as we, as we close, consider finally, Moses endured Moses endured, verse number 27, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. The idea is here to be strong, to be steadfast. How did he do this? If you look through Hebrews chapter 11, you see over and over again that there's this idea of seeing things that are invisible. Specifically, he saw God. He saw him Though God was invisible, though he could not see even the things that God expected of him or had never seen them happen before or take place in maybe other people's lives, he trusted God. He trusted him. He had full, total confidence in what God's way was going to provide in his life. Because he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, because he esteemed Christ and his suffering with Christ to be greater riches than all of Egypt, because he chose to forsake the things that Egypt had to offer him, ultimately he was able to endure because he chose God's way specifically, definitively, clearly. He made up his mind. How about you this evening? Have you made up your mind that God's way is the way for you? Or are you straddling the fence? Maybe you are not a Christian and maybe you, you, you like the idea of following Jesus, but you still like the idea of following the world. Now is the time to make a decision, to have those sins washed away and clearly committing your life to God. Or maybe you are a Christian and maybe you have tried to to go and reach your toe back up into the world and the things of the world. Whatever it is, make up your mind tonight. If you have any need, come now as we stand and as we sing.